like Pastor Mark said, um, I'm Hal. I'm the uh, campus pastor at the Temple Terrace campus, and uh, I, I do. I am excited to teach to you guys because I really, I always do love uh, talking to you guys way more than the weekend service, just because you guys don't send me emails. Uh, yeah, it, you don't. You're not on Facebook, so you can't send me Facebook messages. So it's a beautiful thing, but. Um, Anyway, I just, just want to start off with, you ever been around somebody uh, who starts using a word and they think they know what the word means, but the way they're using it, you're like, they don't know what it means? Like, I, I just, I have, I've got to ask this, and I know this dates me, but uh, how many of you guys have seen The Princess Bride? Guys, date night. It's a great movie. It's a comedy, and it's romantic, all that kind of stuff. It's good. But in, in, the, in the show, he goes, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And it's fun. What's fun about growing up with kids is they start to learn new words, and a lot of times they don't know how to use them. Uh, my son will, will glob on to just about anything. He's eight years old. He's about to turn nine tomorrow. But uh, he, uh, so he started, he learned the word sus. And so, you know, you guys know from like Among Us and all that kind of stuff. And so he just started using it. He's like, Dad, you're sus. I'm like, what are you, what? What are you, what are you talking about? He's like, this food is sus. I'm like, why is it sus? He's like, it's just, it's sus. And he's like, he kept using it over and over again. I'm like, son, do you know what that word means? He's like, yeah, it's just sus. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like it means suspicious. And he's like, what does that mean? I'm like, exactly. You have no idea. And then the other day, like in his school, they, they use like, they, they, they learn like antonyms, uh, like opposite words. And he used, he learned the word common and random and he mixed them up. And so he like came in and like something happened. He's like, oh my gosh, that's so common. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I thought it was pretty random, but you think it's common. I, I get what you're saying. Like he kept saying common. I'm like, I don't, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And it, it's, it's kind of interesting because I, I, I'm going to go right into this real quickly is a lot of things like in the Christian faith, we've heard a lot of sayings, we've heard a lot of things and we think we understand what the Christian faith is. But many times, many times, and I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, a, a lot of times, a lot of things that we base our faith on is not biblical. It's just something that sounded good that somebody once said. Or, or it was something your parents told you because they wanted you to be happy and they wanted you to believe in Jesus. And and this happens, this happens, this, this happens in life, this happens, um, I mean, you, you go down to bed and your mom tells you, hey, pray to God, because if you pray to him and, and you love him, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. And that's, that's nice for a little kid to understand, but then you get older and you see these things happen and it starts you, like, start doubting your faith and you start wondering, like, what's really going on? And in the same way, like, as you got older, you had to realize that it's impossible for a white guy with a beard to make it down every chimney in one night. You had to realize <laughs> that the God that you put your faith in never existed. And I think it is. It's so easy, especially nowadays, because you have a lot of people. You have so many influences that you can have on your life. You have, you have so many people that you can watch on YouTube. You have so many influencers that you can listen to. It's very easy to, to latch on to sayings that aren't true. Um, or we, we take them in the wrong way. I, I'll give you, like, my, my least favorite saying um, for a long period of time. It's not because it's not true. It's because the way people believe it. And it's this saying, the best is yet to come. And... The reason I hate that saying is because everybody assumes like, well, if you have God, the best is yet to come means that tomorrow I'm just going to be blessed all the time. Nothing bad's ever going to happen. And that's not true because the best for some of us in our life the next day could be something that seems awful. Like the best thing that could happen for some of you tomorrow is somebody breaks up with you that you shouldn't be dating anyway. Like the best thing that could happen for you tomorrow is that you go through a crisis or you go through a downtime and it doesn't feel like the best. For example, the best thing year five in our marriage 
was Chrissy finally, finally decided to tell me and, and come out with the fact that she had been abused, sexually abused as a kid, the fact that she had been raped in, in high school, and she brought that out. That was the best thing to happen, but for the next four years, our marriage was on rocks. For the next four years, we weren't sure if we were going to make it, and it was the toughest times that we actually went through. But was it the best? Absolutely. Now, on the other side, I see what's happened. I've seen how God's grown her. I've seen how God's using her, and she's somebody very new. You understand what I'm saying? When you say the best is yet to come, guys, that's why I can't stand it when preachers stand up and say, guys, this is going to be a year of abundance for everybody. Maybe, but that guy's about to probably use, lose his job. So how is he, does, does he now not believe in Jesus? Does he not believe in God? Because you just said he's going to have a year of abundance. And another one that I just want to call out real quick that's not even Christian, it's, it's, it's uh, new age, is name it and claim it. That's not in the Bible. Yeah. Stop doing it. Don't, don't name and claim anything. That's not there. It, actually, the only thing we're allowed to name and claim is God's promises that are already there. You don't, like, God, I, 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 I claim that you're going to do this. And there's this idea, well, if we just absolutely believe it. If you can believe it, you can receive it. No. It sounds good, but it's absolute garbage. It's garbage. And here's why I say this. Guys, here, here's why I'm saying these things. Because so many of us, the reason we believe in God is not because we believe in absolutely who he is and what he's done for us, but we believe in God or we put our faith in God or we want to trust God because we believe he's going to give us the American dream. He's going to give us what we absolutely need. And, and here's, here's the hardest part in this, and this is the hard part when you sit down with people and you understand at the very base and the very core of what they believe is they don't believe in an actual God. They believe in a fairy tale God. They believe in one that they've even made up in their own mind is that when it comes down to what, who God really is, and I, I explain to them, like God never promised to give you everything that you want. God never promised to give you everything you desire. God never promised that he will always keep you safe. They, this is their response, and this is what is so sad to me, and maybe your response right now. And it's good that it's your response right now because you need to work through what you actually believe in. This is their response. Then if God's not going to give me all these things, what's the point of following him? And what we've done, and what we've done is we've lost, we've lost the enormity of who God is. We've lost the enormity of what our sin was, how he, he, it's so big, it separates us from God. We've lost how big it is to be separated from God. We, we've forgotten that there is a real place called heaven and a real place called hell, and eternity is a long time. We, we've forgotten these things, and we don't understand how big it is, and here's why I know we don't know how big it is. Because the moment, the moment an obstacle comes between us and telling somebody else about God, between us and doing what God has called us to do, we turn around. We turn around. And look, I get it. I understand it. it it's harder to share your faith than it. it has been in the last bit of American history. American history. It is harder to share your faith. It amazes me nowadays, it really does amaze me nowadays, that people will decide whether or not an all-knowing, all-powerful God exists on whether or not that God agrees with them. I mean, how obnoxious is that? Like, it, it, seriously, like how, how self-righteous is it that you say, I don't believe in an all-knowing, all-righteous, all-loving God because he doesn't agree with what I have to say? But the problem is this, is we know those people are out there. We know people think that way. But we don't have enough in our heart right now to go up to them and tell them, I know that's what you believe, but this is what I believe. I know that's what you believe, and what I, what I, what I believe is different, but I absolutely still love you and I care for you. And I will continue to have this conversation. Or 
man, I really feel like God's calling me to start this group. God's calling me to start, go on this mission trip. God's calling me to do this thing. But the moment an obstacle comes into play, we have this thought process that says, if anything bad ever happens, that means God's not in it. If something bad happens, well, then God must not be in it. And it's like, where did you get that? Where, where did you get that? Where did you get the idea that the moment something bad happens, oh, that God must be against it? And it's really, it's something that we made up. It's something that doesn't exist at all. And actually, I'll say it this way. Suffering, pain, obstacles are not reasons to think God isn't on your side, that God doesn't love you, or that God has left you. Here's what they all are. It's a reminder that we need God. It's a reminder that we need God. Because if we don't understand that, we start to doubt God. We start to believe that God's not there. We start to automatically assume that God's not in what we're doing. I mean, if you look at the early church, I mean, they, they didn't face rejection. They faced death. Like, they were rejected on a regular basis. There were people that absolutely did not believe what they believed and then killed them for it. I mean, you saw them go after rejection after rejection. In the, in the time of the Roman Empire, if you were a Christian, it was illegal to be a Christian. They would throw you in prison. They would throw you uh, into the Colosseum. You guys know most of the people that died in the Colosseum were Christians? Most of the fodder for the lions were Christians? I don't know about you guys, but I think the average Christian today, the first Christian that got killed by a lion, they would go, you know what, never mind. I mean, Nero would take Christians, dip them in oil, and light them on fire for his garden parties. Like awful, heinous things. All of God's disciples but one died a martyr's death. And the only reason the last one didn't die a martyr's death is because every single time they killed a Christian, a thousand more popped up. So there must be something there. There must be something to this God. There must be something to this Jesus. There must be something that we're missing that we're not getting nowadays because we think the moment something bad happens or the moment someone doesn't like us or the moment somebody calls us a name because that we're Christian, we go, oh, we're not doing the right thing. Yet there was nothing that could stop them. You just got to realize the Roman Empire, they had a whole other religion. They had a whole other set of beliefs. It was illegal at that time. But the people that saw Jesus, that saw what he did, that saw the way they lived, could not shut up about him. Even if it put themselves and their family at risk. And what's so crazy to me is this is in the midst of the bloodshed, in the midst of the things that were happening, in the midst of the fact that Christians were being killed right and left, you have John, the one that lived, the one that they, they were like, you know what, we're not going to kill him, we're just going to send him off. And he wrote the book, First John, on the Isle of Patmos, and he said this. He says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is a man that's seeing people who love God die for their faith. I don't think today's culture could understand that. It, automatically, we would assume, well, God's not in it, or God's not for you, or God doesn't want you to do those things. I mean, he doesn't just say that God is, he doesn't just say that God shows love. He says God is the source of love. He's the beginning of love. And what they did was when they went through these things, they didn't run away from God. They didn't assume God didn't know what was going on. They ran to God. They, they got as close as they could to God because what they understood was God was the only source of peace. God was the only source of comfort that they could have. He was the only source of hope. 
Now, here's the other thing God was. God was not the source of the pain. I want to correct a little bit more theology real quick. Because we, we, the worst theology that I hear are at funerals. And I get it. That's a tough time. But I hear people say things. I hear people say, well, God just needed another angel. No, he didn't. (laughs) That's a stupid thing to say. Like, it feels better. But yeah, it feels better in the moment. Oh, they're an angel. Then later on, you're like, why is God such a jerk? Right? First off, one, God didn't need another angel. Two, we don't become angels. Look, I know. Like, every time a bell rings, an angel does not get his wings. Like, that doesn't happen. We are humans, angels are angels. Two different things. But I hear people say, well, God just, God just caused you to get cancer for a purpose. No, he didn't. God did not kill your relative on purpose for a purpose. Okay? God did not kill your relative so you would get closer to somebody else. God did not kill your relative to bring your family together. That did not happen. And I know I'm saying that really blunt, but I think we've got to get this out because many times we say things that sound good in the moment, then later on we go, like, why is God that way? I don't understand, because I've, I've, I've sat with people that are bawling and crying, going, why did God have to take her right now? God didn't. That's not what happened. See, what happened is Adam and Eve came into this world, they sinned, and when they sinned, it brought pain and suffering into the world. So there is pain and suffering, there are consequences in the world. There's consequences of sin in the world. That's why there's cancer in the world. That's why there's death in the world. That's why there's suicide in the world. That's why the, all these things are in the world. So when something bad happens, it's not that God caused it to happen. In fact, God didn't even say I caused it to happen. That's not what's going on. So we've got to be careful when we tell people, well, God just did that for a purpose. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. I was just talking to somebody who just did a big interview, and they were talking about the things that they had to go through. And they're like, I'm not sure why God made me go through that. No, 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 no. You caused that. Now, you are on the other side because of God. But he didn't cause that. Romans 8, 28 is the verse that helps us understand what God does. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for him. This is what this is saying. God did not cause the pain, but he can redeem the pain. God did not cause the problem, but he can heal the problem. God did not cause any of those things. Now, keep the verse up real quick. But what I want us to understand is I use this, see this verse used out of context all the time. Well, don't worry, God just works everything together for the good. Well, yeah, you've got to remember the, the last part, for those who love God and are working toward, according to his purpose. So it's when you are next to God, he is working it for good. When you are not, he's not. I, I, I just want us to understand that. Like, God's just not randomly going around and going, you're healed, you're healed. Because, like, who's with me? Who's walking with me? And that's what the Christians were doing in the early church. They were coming up to God. They're going, we need your comfort. We need your help because what we're doing matters that much. And we want to get close to you. See, suffering and pain and all of these things are actually an opportunity for us to see God do what only God can do. That's one of the reasons why Paul said, consider it pure joy when you go through these things. It's not because he's some sort of sadist that thinks that bad things should happen. It's because he realizes it's in those bad things that God truly shows his power. Because yeah. when, when everything is good, you, you can ask the question, what's God and what's me? What's really going on? And I know many times as Christians, we can, be, we, we can do this. Every good thing that happens, oh, that's God. Maybe, or maybe you got lucky. 
but it's when things hit the fan, when things start to go wrong, and we see all of a sudden an amazing comfort, amazing peace, and amazing healing. Things happen that just don't make sense that we go, that's definitely God. That's definitely God. So the question that I just want to answer is this, is that if pain and suffering and obstacles are a part of life, and they absolutely are, how do we deal with them, and how did the early church deal with them? Because if the early church was able to accomplish something, you guys got to understand, it was illegal to be a Christian, but by 300 years, the entire Roman Empire, the state-run religion was Christianity. So it started as a small group of people and expanded to the largest empire of the known world. So how did they do it? How did they deal with opposition, pain, and suffering? Here's the first thing, and this is not profound. It's not, but it's so simple, but it's something we naturally don't do when pain happens, okay? They worshiped. They worshiped. Guys, when opposition happens, what is your natural go-to? When pain happens, when suffering happens, when something goes on, is your natural reaction to go away from God because you assume, assume he doesn't love you in that moment or you assume he's against you or he doesn't like you? Is your actual motive to go to him and remind yourself of who he is because that's what worship is worship is anything that honors god worship is anything that reminds you of who he is here's what worship does worship reminds me that i'm me and god's god it reminds me that i do not have infinite power and he does it reminds me of who's in charge and that he is the only one that can bring that peace in that moment because here's the deal guys when you do the things that God has called you to do, there will be people that will oppose you. Sometimes, sometimes, even those people will be in the church. Yeah. Acts 16, 22 to 25. So Paul and Silas literally just cast out a demon from a girl who had been afflicted by a demon. But she had the ability to predict the future. And so the people were mad about that. It says a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jail, jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. And around midnight, Paul and Silas denounced Christianity and walked away from the faith. No, what does it say? I wouldn't tell the story. It says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Do you think they were praying and singing hymns? Because they're like, this is absolutely fair. This is absolutely fair. I mean, this is what we deserve for freeing a girl from a demon possession. We deserve to be in prison. No. Why? What, what were they doing? They were reminding themselves of who's in charge. They were reminding themselves of what they were doing. They were reminding themselves that who they are trying to please is not those people. It's God. It's God. I mean, think about it. It's because, guys, we, the average person cares more about themselves than they do about others. And we know this because Jesus goes, one time he goes out and he sees this man that has been afflicted by demons his entire life. He, he literally lived in the graveyard. People would not go near him because they would rip him apart. Jesus cast the demons out of this man and they went into a flock of pigs. The flicks, pigs went off the side of the mountain and died, but this man was free. The people cared more about the pigs than they did about the man's life. And basically, Jesus had to leave quickly. So why am I telling you that? Because if you aren't close enough to God to know what he's asking you to do, you will quickly forget about it the moment somebody says you shouldn't be. Yeah. It would be the moment someone says you shouldn't be. Jesus got in trouble for healing on the Sabbath day. A guy could literally walk and they're like, well, it shouldn't have happened today. <laughs> People will find problems. That's what I'm saying. People's reactions to what you're doing for God cannot be the reason that you continue to do it for God. 
You, you cannot see that as what you should do. John 16, says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus is saying this. He's not saying, hey, if you trust in me, everything will be beautiful and everything will go great. And you will find the perfect husband or wife and you will live a perfect life and your kids will always obey you and nothing bad will ever happen. No, he says, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He says, understand, stuff is gonna happen, but no, but no, in the end, everything's taken care of. Everything's taken care of. Because here's one of the things that worship does is it refocuses us on our future. And I know this is a weird thing to talk about with young adults, is the fact that heaven is in our future. Because I know most of you still believe you're invincible. And you still do dumb things going, nothing could ever happen to me. And then you hit my age and you trip and you're like, crap, my week is ruined. <laughs> but you, we, we, we don't think about heaven but sometimes, guys, I, I need you to understand this. Sometimes in the pit, in the toughest times, the only thing that we can focus on is heaven. Yeah, right. The only thing that we can see is heaven because we know, look, right now it's not right. Right now there is sin in the world. There's pain in the world. There's suffering in the world. And we've got to understand, like, right now it may not be right, but I'm going to push forward because I know in the end it will be. And I have the ability to take as many people with me as possible. I have the ability to reach out to as many people as possible. So while they may be putting me down in this moment, if I can just do what God's called me to do, maybe, just maybe, they'll be with me this next time when we go through this. See, we know no matter what, God is ultimately in control. We worship God. The moment we go through pain, go through suffering, try that. Whether it's through reading his word, singing is not the only way to worship God. It's what all the people who can sing really well will tell you, but it's not. I just say that because I can't sing. <laughs> Reading God's word, prayer, anything serving God, all these things are worshiping. Anything that reminds you of who God is is worshiping God because it focuses back on him. They worship God. And here's the second thing. This is not profound. These are things we talk about all the time. They had true community. True community. Real, absolute community. Community with people that absolutely knew who they were and what they were going through community with people that were allowed to call them out and allowed to talk to them because the idea that our relationship with God is private is new theology like it is new it is not something that you saw in the early church it's not something that you saw in the church even a hundred years ago this idea that I could do all these things on my own and I understand why we feel that way because we can watch as many sermons as we want on YouTube we can listen to a ton of podcasts we can literally play worship songs 24-7 on Spotify, and we can feel like we're doing the Christian life, but what God would tell you, and what the Bible says is, you're not because you're not doing it with others. The entire Christian faith is predicated on the fact that you do it with other people. That's why it kills me when I see people, like, they love to post it, and they feel so self-righteous when they post it. Like, they're on their fishing boat, and it's like on a Sunday, and they take a picture, and they're like, I'm having church on my own here on this fishing boat. No, you're not. Unless all of a sudden the fish start singing along with you and calling you out for what you're doing. That's not happening. I'm like, you're not having church. You're fishing. That's fine. That's cool. It's not church. Going into the forest by yourself and just praying, that's great time with God. That's not church. Church requires other people. It's kind of a part of the word. It's like, oh, like more than one person. 
You need other people to be a part of it. And this is something that's a, a regular part of it. Look, I, I don't, I, the reason I say this is because I feel like this idea that I can do things on my own is something that is rewarded or seen as like a higher level in today's world. Oh, I did it on my own. But look, understand this. Complete independence from others is not success. It's loneliness. It's loneliness. Like, it, working your entire life to say that you did it on your own is not success. It's loneliness. That's why it's so many of the richest people in the world are not happy. Because they burned everybody along the way. They did everything they could, so all the accolades went to them. It's, it's loneliness. I mean, think about it. The first thing that was wrong in the entire world was what? Adam was alone. Adam was alone. He's probably setting the animals on fire or something. He's like, oh, we, we need to bring a woman in here. <laughs> but that was the first thing that was wrong. It's like, Adam is alone. We need community. I'll say it this way. A Christian without a church is a spiritual orphan. There is never a time where you have been hurt enough by a church that God would say, okay, you don't need to go to a church. If the hurt is enough, go to another church, find a church, get plugged in a church. But never has God said, oh, you don't need to be a church, you can just have church on your own. Because, and here's the other side of it, and we talk about community for us, but there is another side. Community is also about who you help. Like church is not about you. It's about you, but it's not about you. Like you need to be a part of it, but it's not always gonna be helping you it could many times be you helping others i think we forget like there's an obligation that we have as christians to love others and care for others especially those in the church in fact when you look in the bible so many people are like oh we need to get out of the four walls we need out of the four walls and absolutely we do but our first obligation is to love one another like the first thing he said the way that you will know people will know that you are my disciples is by the way you love one another it's really hard to love other people in the church if you don't go it's really hard to love other people in the church if you're not in proximity with them, if you don't have, you're not in a small group with them, you don't get to know them on a personal basis. We need other people to walk this journey with us. Hebrews 20, 10, 25 said this, says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This was like one of the biggest verses that pastors love to use during the lockdown. Government, you know, and they're like, the Bible says, and look, I get it. But look, I was ahead of the exchange at that time. And, and, the, and the people that were freaking out the most was the singles that lived alone. I literally, I was like, I know what the government said. Please go over somebody else's house. You are losing your freaking mind. Because it was. Why? Because for the first week, it's fine. You get to play all the video games you want. You eat whatever you want. But after a while, you're like, crap, it's just me. You need to talk to somebody else. And FaceTime only works so much. God created us to be in community, and we learned that. I mean, if you guys have seen, like, some of the states that had the longer lockdowns, the effect that it had on kids and so many other things, it's huge because we need to be around other people. We require relationship. We need other people to walk with, and we need other people to watch out for us. We need accountability because people see things that you don't see. Man, if, if I didn't have certain people in my life, there's, I would be in a totally different place because they called me out at an early age for certain things. I told you guys before, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me in college was I took a road trip with three other guys, and one of the guys in the back seat says, so when was the last time any of you guys saw porn? And we had a real conversation for the first time. A real conversation for the first time. I guess if you don't have people that check you, that call you out, it, it doesn't work. We need someone to help us out. 
We need people to help us out when we're hurt, and we need to be able to help other people out when they are hurt. I've told this story before, but I think it's one of the best stories when it comes to this in the Bible. It's the, it's the story of the men that, that they, they took their friend to Jesus. This man was lame from birth. It said he couldn't walk from birth. And these four men put him on a mat. They picked him up, and they took him to where Jesus was. The, the house was packed. They couldn't get him in there. So they went on the roof. They dug a hole through the roof. Like, these guys were serious. They dug a hole through the roof, and then they lowered their friend in front of Jesus so that he could see Jesus, and then Jesus healed that man. And here's what, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes, sometimes we're the person holding the side of the mat, and sometimes we're the one on the mat, but that's what community is. Sometimes you need a friend to take you to the feet of Jesus, even when you're unwilling to go. Sometimes you need a group of friends that are praying over you, even when you're unwilling to pray. Like, we need people in our lives that are watching out for us. How else are you going to deal with life? How else are you going to continue to do what God's called you to do? Look, there are people that are going to come against you in many different things. I'll say it this way. The reason your situation may feel overwhelming is that your situation was never meant to be handled alone. Maybe right now, the reason why you feel totally overwhelmed, you feel like it's not possible, is you've let no one else in. You let nobody else into that situation. You let nobody else help you along. You let nobody else carry your mat as you move forward. And it's so easy to just assume, oh, God's not with it, so I'm just going to stop. And God's going, no, no, you just started. There's a breakthrough on the other side. There's something for you on the other side. Like worshiping community, it sounds so simple. It sounds so basic, but it was the basics. It's what they did. It's what they did regularly. It's what they did every day. It's what they did the moment something happened is they reached out to God and they reached out to their friends. They asked for prayer. They asked for help. They never even tried to do this life alone. See, what the enemy would love to do, what he loved to do, is he'd love to tell you that the people that are around you don't really believe in you. He'd love to tell you that they don't think the right things about you. He'd love to tell you that what they said before is really mean, so you shouldn't go back to it. He'd love to tell you that you can do this Christian life on your own. In fact, he's probably the number one telling you, number one person telling you that you can do that. And he's the same one telling you, hey, church hurt is a reason not to trust again. Church hurt is a reason not to get in a group again. Church hurt is a reason not to do things. Look, I want to say it this way. Church hurt is not real. The church did not hurt you. It didn't. A person who is hurt and misguided did. Someone sinned against you, not the church. And we've got to see it that way. Look, and we sin against other people too. I think that's the funny thing. We, We tend to point out all the things that people have done to us, not think about the fact that we've hurt other people. Like we have, we've done that over and over. And in the moment that you think you just did a great job, there's something's going to happen. I'll, I'll, I, I'm amazed at people sometimes. Like just the audacity. Like my wife is always amazed when people literally like look me up, friend me on Facebook just to send me something and curse at me. Like she's like, it's amazing. But the other day, so I taught this weekend and I got done with the 915 message and I'm walking out and I go out earlier because the worship is still going on but I try to get out there so that I can talk to people if somebody needs prayer whatever that may be and I'm walking out and you know you have the people that leave early and because they're so afraid that they're going to have to deal with traffic and so they're jetting out (laughs) they're jetting out 
And as this guy is jetting out with his wife, he is purposely speaking loud enough for me to hear. And he goes, man, that was the first time at Grace Family Church that I didn't get anything out of a message. It's like, man, that didn't hit me at all. That was probably the worst message I've ever heard. A great, like saying it really loud. And I'm just, I just start laughing. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, it cracked me up. I'm like, he's, he's literally, like, he's, he, wow. <laughs> and like, here's the deal. Like, I know, like, I've had enough emails that I realize people are stupid. Like, it just, it's, this is the case. And I know, here's the deal. I, I've had a lot of messages where what this like, person was saying, I didn't get anything out of it, but God may showed me something else. I'm mature enough to understand that, but he's apparently not. But, but here's the thing. Like, I had to literally, I had to literally immediately go to God and go, God, I need you to help me not think about this. And it wasn't that I was going to focus on the fact that I didn't think I did a good job. I was going to focus on the fact of what I could say to this person or find this person. Like, I'm like, oh, what could I have could have said? I'd like, get behind me, Satan, or something like that. Like, <laughs> like I did. I just wanted to focus on it. I just wanted to think about it. Because, guys, this past week, and what I talked about was evangelism. And, guys, when you tell people to share their faith, they don't like it. They get mad about it. How dare you say that? Well, it's in the Bible. <laughs> How dare I? It's literally there. It says, you have to do this. No. But people don't like it. So I know that. And I know. And I really felt like, as I, we've been going through this fast. I've been fasting. I'm like, man, I need to share this. I need to share this. I share it. I'm like, yes, it hit really good. And the moment I walk out, it's like, that was the worst message I ever heard. Here's why I'm saying that. Guys, it doesn't matter what you do for God. There will be people that won't like it. There will be. And it is sad. It's sad. That's why you need the right people around you. That's why you have to have people around you. That's why you have to have people that you trust in that absolutely love God too. That's why at your age you should have people that are older than you that can help you too because they've been through it. They've walked through it. What you're going through right now, they're like, did that, done that, here's what you're doing. You're like, well, this person treated me this way. Yeah, I've had that happen too. It's going to be a normal part of what you're doing. Here's what I want you to understand. Like, what we have is special. What we know is special. The fact that we know and we understand what God did for us and what Jesus did for us on the cross and the fact that we have a hope, we have a love, we have this freedom that only he brings, it's something that is special. And look, the enemy is a very real thing, and that's a scary thing to think about is a scary thing to realize that there is an enemy that is out there, but it's an understanding that there is an enemy so we understand we are going against something. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to go right every time. But that's why we have God and that's why we have community. To remind us of what we absolutely must do. Because if pain and suffering is inevitable, then healing is essential. It, it's something that we must do and something that we have to do. But what we tend to do is this. We tend to hold on to our pain. We tend to hold on to our, our pain. We stuff it. We hide it. We almost feel like we're something special by not showing emotion about it. it it's, I've said it this way before. It's like guys almost feel like, well, I'd rather walk with a limp than be truthful about the healing that I need. And we think we're fooling everybody, but we're not fooling anyone. And I think of it this way. When we heal alone, we gain a scar. But when we heal with God, we gain a purpose. And here's what I mean by that. 
When you heal alone, you gain a scar. You ever met somebody who has, a, has had to go through something really bad? What do they talk about all the time? That thing. They talk about what they had to go through, what happened. It immediately becomes a victim mentality. Right. Oh, look at my scar. Look what I went through. Look what's going on. But if you get next to somebody who healed with God, they go, let me tell you about somebody who changed my life. Yeah, let me... Yeah. They look for people who are going through the same thing and they're like, I have the answer for you. I know what you need in this moment. I know what you need the most and, it, and it's not to hold this in. It's not to go through this alone. It's to let the only God who can heal you to show up and heal you. Guys, think about it this way. If God could use the greatest atrocity, the greatest pain that ever happened in this world, which was Jesus, to change the world, how much more can he use your pain to change the world around you? How much more could he help the people around you? Like he wants to help you. He wants to guide you. He wants you to help get through pain. I think it's kind of like this. It's, you know, for people who work out that are not me, I'm not even going to try. Um, you know this, and you see people talk about it all the time. Um, you're working out. If you're going to work out, what do you also have to do? You have to eat right, right? You have to eat. You have to take supplements. You have to do those things. Why? Because if you don't do that, then what happens? It goes to waste. Like if you work out really hard and then you fast, does anything happen? No. Look, when you work out, what happens? You basically, you start to tear your muscles small tears. And then what happens if you give the right nutrition to it, it builds it up into something stronger. Look, life is a whole bunch of small tears, small pains, suffering, all that kind of stuff. When God comes into play, he actually makes us stronger from it. But when we go without it alone, we learn nothing. We don't gain anything. See, what God wants to do, and it's the word called transformation. God wants to transform your heart. He wants to transform your life. And the biggest way transformation happens is by walking through pain and suffering. Because, guys, if we're just honest, how much have we ever grown when things are good? We don't grow when things are good. In fact, we think we're awesome when things are good. It, it's through the pain. It's through the suffering. It's through the hard times when we lean on God that he grows us and he makes us into something so much better. And what he does is when he makes us into something better, he expands our purpose. He expands our ability to help the other people around us. So he, he changes us so that we can help change others. See, when Jesus died on the cross, yes, he died so that he could forgive our sins, but it was, the biggest thing that was the problem was he, he wanted to restore relationship. See, God wanted a relationship with us so much that he decided to send his son. And every time that relationship is hurt or every time that it is put aside, he wants to heal it. He wants to bring it back together. Guys, just think about it. If anyone had a reason to quit because of opposition, pain, and suffering, it was Jesus. I mean, he had every type of pain out there. He had incredible relational pain. Imagine spending three years with these disciples, telling them all that you know, bringing them along, helping them for three years. And the moment, the moment something goes bad, they leave you. They left him. And then the one guy that stays around, Peter, denies Jesus to a middle school girl.
And then he gets brought in front of a fake court who accuses him of things that are fake. I mean, they didn't... When he brought, was brought in front of the Romans, they're like, I don't find any problems, but you want to kill him? Okay, let's do that. And then he was beaten and crucified on the cross. I mean, guys, it, it, that would be one of those times where I'm like, all right, maybe God's not in this. He's like, this is absolutely what I must do. So I'm saying, like, the, the person that we worship went through pain and suffering. Why do we think there's not going to be any in our lives? And look, there's pain and suffering no matter what anyway. We know that. We know that. But what God says is this, is when it happens to you now, I have the ability to use it for something more. I have the ability to, to bring something more to the world. And I want to transform you into something you didn't think you could be. First Peter 2, 21 to 25, I think is just, it's a, it's a great chapter. It just kind of reminds us of what God would like us to do. It says this, it says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. It's probably a good thing I didn't talk back to that guy nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like a sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. He says, it's not going to be perfect or even close to it. But you have the ability to be in relationship, to turn to, I love the word there, the guardian of your souls. Guys, when things go wrong, it's not a sign that God is not in it. It's a sign we need to turn to God. Because if you're not next to God when things go wrong, you won't be able to hear him saying, keep going. You won't be able to understand when he's saying, no, 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 we're, we're not done yet. Look, I understand they may reject you, but they need to know my truth. God wants to accomplish something in each of your lives, but it only is possible when we decide to walk through the pain, the obstacles, and the suffering with him, not shy away from them or just try to avoid them thinking that if God really loved us, this wouldn't happen. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray for just everyone in this room right now, especially those right now that are, are just kind of second-guessing a little bit of everything that they grew up believing. Um, God, I pray that you come alongside them. I pray that you help them see who you truly are. That you're a God that absolutely loves them. You're a God that absolutely wants, wants to help them, to change them, transform them, to use them for something more. God, I pray that this group would just find incredible community. God, I pray small groups would, would find an ability to be truly authentic, to be honest, to be open, to walk with each other, to care for each other, to pray for each other, to give the hard advice when they have to, to call each other out even when they don't want to. 
God, I pray it, it starts something special. God, I thank you for this group. I thank you for everything that you're going to do in them. I thank you for every, every young adult in this room that has yet to see everything that's going to happen. God, I pray that they have the ability to worship you and to get next to your people so they can do what they've called, you've called them to do. God, I thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.